Well, we are in the middle of a sermon series that we are calling Backstage Christmas, and I want to quickly point out some of the things that have been up here have been intentional for the series, but I don't always point it out because the series Backstage Christmas was built, we, we created the series to go with the high school play, same idea that if, if, if Jesus was the greatest story ever told, the greatest show, so to speak, then um, what happened in making that possible is the Backstage Christmas. And so we have our director's chair. We talked about God is the director of the greatest story ever told, uh, the, the story of salvation for the world. And we have the director's chair. Then last week we put up these, the ladder and paint, paint, paint cans and stuff. I didn't point them out, but that's because we were talking about the crew last week. Remember, it's not just what happens on stage, but what happens off stage that makes a difference. And so we talked about the crew last week. And then this up here represents the cast this week because of the costumes. And so supposedly like... Uh, you know, Joseph and Mary and maybe even some Jesus swaddling cloths. Does anybody here sleep at night in swaddling clothes? Anybody here lying in a manger? Okay, I didn't think so. But anyhow, we tried our best we could. So anyhow, we have a few props. And um, we are just um, celebrating the theme of theater and backstage Christmas with the story of Jesus. And week one, we talked about how God is the director God is the director, and so in week one, we talked about how he set the stage. Way before Jesus was born, he prophesied that he was coming one day and, 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 and prepared and set the world up with the Greek common language and the Roman roads going all over the place, and just he prepared and set the stage. And we made this statement in week one. We said that the director sees now what you can't see yet. The director sees now what you can't see yet. If you were with us last week, we talked about the crew and how that there are people working behind the scenes in the story of Jesus, even though no one saw them. And they weren't famous, but we have some glimpses into some other important characters in the story. And we made this observation. We said that the director sees what you do even when no one else does. Okay, well, today, I want to talk about one more idea, and I want to kind of give you the main idea at the beginning. We'll give you another small one at the end. But today, I want to talk about how the, the director knows who he needs for what he's doing. The director knows who he needs for what he's doing. I'm talking about casting. Well, whenever you cast a, a part, and, and Steve could talk about this himself, and he could preach the sermon, Kim, you're right. He could talk about uh, casting all day long, how you, how you could call people, you, you invite people to join, and then you have to kind of look at all the ones who want a role and let them audition, and then you have to pick who gets what role. And it's such a, it's such a weighty job because you want to cast it just right. And you also don't want anyone to feel overlooked, but you also don't want to make the wrong pieces in the wrong way. It's just such an art. And, and sometimes movie directors and even bands, they, they, they try to get people picked for their jobs by auditions. But then there's always those stories you hear where someone just finds somebody out there and says, man, you play really well or you sing really well. Can you join our band? Or, hey, I saw you somewhere. Can you, can you be in my film? And so sometimes a person is an approached who was even looking for the part. And that's the Christmas story in a nutshell. There's always that moment when the director chooses the cast. Sometimes there's only one person to be chosen. Sometimes there's options. But in the end, without the cast, the show won't happen. And so as we read the Gospels, and remember the word gospel, that's an old church word, the word gospel means what? It means good news. What's the good news? Well, the good news is that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose again. But really, what does that mean? That means that he was showing us that God loves us, that God is love demonstrated through Jesus Christ. So the good news is that the good news is God's love. 
And so as we read the Gospels, um, if you were to open what we call our Bibles, we'll discuss this more next year, but um, you have two big sections. And the, back, the, the main section for us is the, what we call the Christian Scriptures or the New Testament. And the Christian Scriptures of the New Testament begin with four accounts of the life of Jesus. And we call those the Gospels sometimes because they tell the story of Jesus. And those four books that tell Jesus' story are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four accounts are, um, these are again, these are, these are just, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was there, called from being a tax collector to being a disciple. Um, Mark, who wrote the book, was not a disciple, but, but history, we understand that Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, was behind the stories that Mark wrote. So basically, Mark was writing on Peter's account of the life of Jesus, and Peter was right front and center. He saw all of it really close and personal. Luke was a historian, and then John was also a disciple of Jesus, like Peter, and he saw things firsthand. And what I want to point out to you today is this. As we look at the cast, the cast of the story of Jesus, when you go to Bethlehem and the curtain opens on Christmas night and you see Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, they're the main cast. You have a lot of supporting cast in the story of Jesus. But that's kind of opening act main characters right there. Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. And so their stories are told in those gospel accounts. Not Mark. Mark, again, he's telling Peter's story. And he kind of just jumps right into adult Jesus. When you read Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it's adult Jesus going to town. But the other ones tell the backstory. Luke, for example, Luke tells the backstory of the very birth of Jesus. In fact, when you read on Christmas Day the story of the birth of Jesus, you'll read it from Luke. But also, if you were with us last week, Luke tells us the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias and also the story of how Mary was first notified that she was chosen or cast to be the mother of Jesus. And so let's start there, and then we'll go to Matthew later to talk about the backstory to Joseph, and we'll go to John after that, because there's three characters with a backstory. But let's begin. I want you to imagine for just a moment here that you find out that you've been chosen for an important role. How exciting would that be? Well, that's what happened to this young woman, young girl, who was engaged to be married to a man probably a bit older than she was. This young woman's name is Mary. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about Elizabeth, the whole service. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, Nazareth is a small town in Galilee. It's a very, fairly poor town. We can tell Mary was marrying a man who was not well off financially. They're the typical kids getting married, uh, young people getting married. Joseph wasn't as young, but getting married and not a lot of wealth, not a lot of money in the bank, but he had enough to provide for her to give her parents a dowry and all that kind of stuff. And, and Mary's a virgin. She's engaged to be married, but she's not been married yet, and she's still not even been with a man. And the uh, angel comes to her. It says uh, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of King David. Of course, this was the promise that the Messiah would come from a certain uh, people in ancient times that they would be their ancestors. And so this is a reminder of that. It says that Gabriel the angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. What in the world does that mean? 
Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Well, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, if you were with us again last week, you heard the part of the story where Zechariah was probably freaked out when the angel appeared to him in the, all alone in the temple. Like, how spooky would that be? Mary probably got a better approach than Zechariah got, probably a little less frightening. But still, here's an angel saying, highly favored woman, God is with you. So she's confused. What does this mean? Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Awesome. What does that mean? Well, he explains. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And so this is an incredible moment here. This is the moment where, where we see that, that the promised Messiah is being foretold, that God is being mentioned as, as, as coming down uh, and being born amongst men, the Son of God. And Mary's being told it's going to happen through you. And of course, she was probably raised in her culture and has heard the prophecies of a coming Messiah. Who knows what she thought this would look like? But now she's being told God's about to do something that he has long previously predicted would happen and has told people was coming. And the world has been looking forward to it back then. Like today, we look back to it. They used to look forward to it. And, and, and now she's the one that would be the mother in this special moment. He says in verse 33, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. He shall reign forevermore. And so uh, he's foretelling the story. Now, Mary's got some questions here, legit questions. Verse number 34 says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And of course, this is a fair question. And by the way, uh, she has questions too. Last week, Zechariah, when he had a miracle coming his way, he asked questions and he kind of got like a special, like, here's your sign. You won't be able to talk for the next nine months. Well, Mary's going to have a question too. She's going to also have a sign for the next nine months as well. She's about to be pregnant. But anyhow, she comes along and she says, um, how can this happen? I mean, I understand that what you're saying, but how can this happen? I mean, I've get pregnant. I'm engaged to get married to Joseph. He expects that I've, been, I've not been with somebody else and I'm being faithful to him. I can't, get, I can't be pregnant. I've, not even been, I've never been with a guy. This can't happen. And so she's having this conversation. Now again, we understand and we saw this two weeks ago that it was a long time prophesied from way back when. From, from way before this day, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said, here's a sign that God is giving that a virgin will conceive and will bear a son. And, and whether or not that prophecy was fully understood, it would be understood in time is happening here. And Mary's like, this can't be, I'm a virgin. Well, the angel explains to her, verse 35, the, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So this is, the, this is how God's going to do something amazing. And again, it would be amazing. And Mary is, can't even hardly process this thing. Verse 36, what's more, your relative Elizabeth, she has become pregnant in her old age. 
People used to say that she was barren, but now she has conceived a son, and she's now in her sixth month. So again, if you were with us last week, this is all happening at the same time. And Mary's finding out that Elizabeth was expecting. That's why Mary went to visit Elizabeth, because they both had miracles going on. And also, Mary probably wanted to get out of Dodge, you know. So she, she goes over to, and leaves Nazareth to go visit, um, you know, Elizabeth to hang out with her for a few months. And so... These two things are God beginning to show the world that something special is happening. Something special is happening. Elizabeth and Zechariah having a child after all these years? Inconceivable. Well, apparently not. Um, Mary um, having a baby, she's a virgin? What in the world? All of this is happening. And so Mary is hearing this news. Verse 37, the angel says, for the word of the Lord will never fail. And I love that statement. What the angel was saying is this. God's promises always come true. And I want to encourage you today. I'm not really preaching a, you know, a practical message today. I'm kinda, we're kind of taking a drive around the neighborhood today looking at the Christmas lights. I don't have a lot of points in my sermon to, to point. We're just telling a story and enjoying the scenery today. But I want to make a point real quick here. The word of God will never fail. And this is true in your life. If you need to hear this today, please hear it. That, that what the angel said to Mary was, hey, people have been waiting a very long time for a promised Messiah. In fact, there was those 400 years of silence where people may have looked for the wrong kind of Messiah. And there was, there was people who, who were looking for a political savior, not a, not a, not a, a spiritual a, a, a bridge from God to man. They're looking for something different. And so th- this whole idea has been lost and, 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 been, and maybe people forgot it was even happening or doubted that it was ever going to come true. But it is because God's word will never fail. His promises will be, they will come to pass. And that's not just true in the story of Jesus, that's the story of your life. That if you ever wonder where God is at or has he lost sight of you or forgotten you or got busy or did he have a plan for you and, and, then, and then something went sideways, that God's promises never fail. You can trust him. If you're going through a tough season today, believe that his word will never fail, not in the big picture, the Christmas story, and not in your life either. Anyhow, Mary responds in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Now, when you read that, don't misconstrue what she's saying. I don't think she was jumping up and down, giggling with glee, saying, yay, may everything come true. Because everything that was about to happen at this point was complicated. How do you explain this to the guy? How do you tell Joseph this thing? How do you tell mom and dad this? How do you figure this out? I know that, you know, you can't hide a baby bump for very long, but still, this is a kind of a big moment. But Mary, what she's saying in this passage is not just, yay, yippity-skippity. In fact, we're not going to see Mary praise the Lord until after she visits Elizabeth. I think what you see Mary doing here is realizing that God's asking something of her that was going to complicate her life tremendously. Potentially complicate and almost end her engagement. Think about that. And then who's going to take care of the child in that culture where women didn't have many, much place in society? I mean, this almost wrecked her engagement. Divine intervention stopped it from happening. How she gonna, and, and that hasn't happened yet. She's about to be given a, a, an opportunity that seems more like a burden. And what she's saying here, and I believe what you see right here is, is consent. This is God coming to her saying, I know you, this is an opportunity and I know that you're, how you'll respond, but I'm telling you up front and Mary's consenting. She's saying, okay, 
If that's what you want, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. So may what you're saying happen. I, I, I accept that. And then when she said that, then the angel left her. And, she was, and that's when she went to Elizabeth's house to sort things out. And she's the first member of our main cast at the opening act of the Christmas story. But there's not just Mary, there's also Joseph, her fiancé. And I believe that Joseph is just as important. I think that Mary being chosen in this role was not just because of Mary, although she was the kind of person that she was, but also because of who Joseph was. Because it took up, God had to find someone not only who could be in Mary's role, but someone who's willing to be in Joseph's role, who's willing to take and, and raise that child that wasn't his, especially in that culture. Even today, though, come on, people, even today, that's a hard thing to ask. And back then, it would have been harder because of all the inheritance and the properties and the birthrights and all the customs and uh, how much identity was given through your tribal inheritances with land. And, and then this is not his son, so does he, does he get his birthright? And then he's got his own kids to feed. By the way, they were not rich people. And you know how expensive it is to raise kids? You know how expensive it is to, to feed a family? And then he's going to have another child that's not his, that he didn't even want. And that, This is a big thing. It took a special person to walk into this story and say, okay. And we always overlook that. But I think that God chose this couple because both of them were special. Because Mary left town. I, as far as I can tell, she didn't tell too many people ahead of time. How do you tell them? How do you go to Joseph after one day? Hey, how was work today, Joseph? good. Did you build a new cabinet? I love that. You're a great carpenter. Oh, by the way, so I'm pregnant. But I have not been with another guy. I promise you. It's the most amazing thing. Boyfriends, is that, that, that going to keep your relationship together, that news? You know, I got, I'm pregnant, but husbands, you've been gone away, you know, you come back home. Hey, I've been on this long trip. Hey, I'm pregnant now, um, but I, pr I promise you I've not been, you know, what in the world? That's kind of a, a big deal. How do you tell mom and dad? Mom and Dad, I promise. Like, you're engaged to get married. You're going to ruin everything. What are we going to do? We'll take care of you. We're getting older. You're, you, you blew it. Mom and Dad, it wasn't me. I wasn't with a guy. Oh, right. That just happens. Let me guess. God, right? I mean, how do you explain that? How many girls since then have tried to use that story? You know? What do you mean you're pregnant? Oh, Lord, it's a miracle. He's done it again. You know? Mm, I don't know. So this whole thing, you know, this is this is this is a we, I know we just spiritualize it. It's just all easy. But Mary was given a tough task, and she leaves town to figure things out. By the time she gets to Elizabeth's house, and she hears Elizabeth speak through the power of the Holy Spirit over her, Mary begins to praise God for the first time. You can read it in Luke chapter 1. She begins to praise God. But now we're going to pivot to Joseph. Because he had to be special too. And we're going to leave the story, we're going to leave Luke's uh, story of Jesus' life we're going to leave the book of Luke and we're going to go to the book of Matthew because Matthew tells us about Joseph. Let's go there together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do they keep focusing on this virgin part? Why? Well, obviously because that's the miracle, isn't it? That's the miracle. It's not a miracle when you get pregnant. I mean, it's, it's always a miracle you get pregnant because God puts life there, but it's, not, it's less miraculous. Sometimes it's not even tried for. In some cases, it's not desired. 
She's a virgin. So this is a sign that God is giving that he's about to do the special thing he's been promising in the world. So that's why we're focusing on this so much. His marriage is, she's engaged. She becomes pregnant. She's a virgin. She becomes pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. In other words, Joseph is like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, things were just fine. I was getting ready to get married. And then jo, Mary comes along and says that she's pregnant, but she's got some story about how she really wasn't with anybody else. Like, that's possible. I don't know what to do, but I gotta break this thing off. I've just gotta, I've just gotta end it. So Joseph is making plans to end his engagement, but he's gonna do it quietly. And I want you to notice those words up there that we put in yellow. He was a righteous man. What does that mean? Now, I know a lot of people in the church world are real good at thinking righteousness means I'm better than other people or I have a certain special set of rules that makes me, a, you know, we have weird ideas of righteousness, how we measure our righteousness. Can I just tell you what God called him a righteous man here? Because, not because of how he lived better than other people. He called him a righteous man because of how he treated other people. Because Joseph had every right to walk away from that engagement, humanly speaking. And he could have done so publicly and unpleasantly. And, and, and before you, again, before we spiritualize these people too much, you would and I would do the same thing. If you were engaged with somebody and they, you thought they cheated on you or having a baby with somebody else, no matter how they explained it to you. You're just like, you know what? We're breaking it. I mean, in ancient, their ancient history of their nation, there was room in their ancient laws to stone someone to death for doing that to you. Or have them taken to the laws and that means she could be in big trouble. Now, they, I don't think that was what they were doing by this time. They were more civilized by this point. But still, she'd be a public example. And he could have definitely gotten on Facebook or Snapchat or something and told everybody, can you believe what that girl did to me? Some select names along the way. And everyone would be like, you know, oh, man, we're with you, Joe, you poor guy. I mean, it would have been so easy to make himself into this victim and, and her into this horrible person. But Joseph was a righteous man in how he treated somebody, even somebody who was hurting his plans. We're good at getting revenge or we're good at making ourselves look good if someone else even looks bad. But Joseph says, I'm gonna protect, I'm breaking it off, but I'm gonna protect her reputation even though I'm devastated by what's happening here. Who does that? How many people have ugly breakups all the time? And Joseph is like, I'm going to treat her well as I end this thing because that's what a good person does. Boy, I wish people, we did that today, you know. We treated people, even those we feel hurt us, we would treat them with dignity and grace and class instead of looking out for ourselves at their expense. That's maturity. But Joseph is a righteous man. He's like, I'm gonna privately end this thing, but it's done, it's over. Verse number 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. So Joseph needs a special vision from God, doesn't he? An angel's got to come and convince him this is not actually a crazy story. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you know? That's what she said. I didn't know if I could believe that. That seemed like a tall tale. That's, who, that, that's impossible. But that's what she told me. I, I knew she was a good woman, but, but I, I couldn't understand how I could be. I want to believe her, but it was just too far. But now the angel is telling me. So now Joseph is saying, huh, 
Maybe there's something to this. The angel continues, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's exactly the name that Mary said the angel told her to name him. So now this angel's backing up her entire story to Joseph. And now Joseph knows it's real. Now, does that make him feel better? In a way, I'm sure it does. He knows that Mary wasn't just with, with his buddy and telling, blaming God, right? At least he knew that part was true. So he had to feel better on some level, but on another level, he's still got to figure out, I'm going to marry her? I got to raise this kid? I got to fund this family? This was not my plan. It's still a big ask. But what did Mary do when God confronted her with this challenging opportunity that was wonderful and also burdensome at the same time? She said, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I'll do. What does Joseph do? Joseph does the same exact thing. Verse 22, let's keep reading and we'll see it together. Verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. That God is coming down and, and is going to be with us on this earth, walking among us. God is now with us. Not just he's always there, he's always everywhere, but he's in a more tangible, human, I can see him with my own eyeballs way, with us. Verse 24, this is the part where Joseph does what Mary did. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. Again, I don't know how eager he's, I don't know how much fear he still had, but just like Mary who said, I'm the Lord's servant, whatever you want, will do. Joseph wakes up and says, Lord, I'm your servant, whatever you want, your will be done. And he took her to be his wife and took on a pregnant girl and her baby as his wife. It says in verse 25, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So there's the backstory of Joseph and there's the backstory of Mary. But when you open the scene in Bethlehem on, on, Christmas more, on Christmas night, you find three characters. You have Mary, you have Joseph, and you have the baby. You have Jesus. He has a backstory too, doesn't he? And while Luke tells us Mary's backstory and John tell, uh, Matthew tells us the backstory of Joseph, John talks about the beginning with Jesus. John, who wrote the other book about Jesus' life, begins his book by saying this. John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, in the beginning. And I love that. John is going to use the three words to start his book about Jesus' life that every Jewish boy and girl and man and woman back then would understand very well because that's how their Hebrew Bible began. In their Hebrew scriptures, the very first book of Genesis begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John's going to go in the beginning of his story and say, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. In the beginning. In the beginning. What? In the beginning, he goes on to say, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was, the word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now, I want you to think about that with me for a second. Can you picture the conversation that the father has with the son? God the father says to God the son, you know, if we create this world, that's what God, God is love. If we create the world, it'll be created in love. 
And if we make people in love, we're gonna give them freedom of choice. We're gonna give them free will because that's what love does. It doesn't control, gives you options. We're gonna give you the freedom to choose. But we know that when people have freedom to choose, they choose stupid, they choose wrong, they choose bad. They're gonna make a mess. They're gonna make things complicated. But we're gonna do it anyhow. We're gonna, we're gonna make people, we're gonna give them freedom to be their own people, knowing that that brings consequence and heartache potentially. So when it does, we gotta figure out how in love not only to create them and to give them free will, we're gonna have to figure out in love how to redeem them back from the mess that they might make and invite them back into relationship with us if they want it. So that's what we're gonna do. Do you know what this might cost us? Do you know how this might go? Are we good with this? From the very beginning, Jesus is there having the conversation about the Father's will. And I, I don't want you to overlook it because in, in every way, shape, and form, it's just like Mary and Joseph. Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be according to your word. Joseph said, okay, Lord, I will do as you command. What did Jesus say? He said, yes, Father. On earth, we have him praying the prayer where he said, let this cup pass from me. No, no, no. Not my will, your will be done. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. That everyone in the Christmas story had a moment where they said to the Father, your will be done. This is what it takes to show love, to redeem, sign me up. They're heroes, all of them, but especially Jesus, the only one who could be our savior, the only one who could be our redeemer. He existed in the beginning with God. In fact, here's how, how important he was from the very beginning. Verse 3, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life, his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love the, the imagery of that verse right there because it talks about light in the darkness. And don't we love that at Christmas time? The lights, the lights at Christmas, the lights in the, in the dark to drive around. One of our traditions as a family, we'll get together with our kids um, every year. And, and we've done it for the last few years. And this year is no exception. Our married kids are going to join us, uh, Brett and his Carly and Jessica and Devin and, and Lindsay and Michelle and me. And we're going we're gonna to get into uh, our pajamas and get some hot chocolate. We're going to drive around and look at Christmas lights because that's what we do, and we love it. Because the light is so beautiful, and the colors are so nice, and it reminds us when it's dark out at night of the Christmas season. And Jesus said, I want to use that imagery to explain to you that in the darkness of this world, in the loss, the confusion, the mess, the, the heartache, the murder, the harm, the selfishness, the self-serving world that you live in, the darkness of humanity, light is entering, and it's beautiful. Now, I told you earlier that there was four books about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke kind of tells us the story of Jesus' birth and before his birth about Mary's invitation. Matthew tells us the backstory of Joseph being told he was chosen to be the stepfather to Jesus. John is telling us the story of Jesus from the very beginning. The only one left out is Mark, which is largely authored by the, the disciple Peter as far as he told the stories that Mark would later pen. But what's interesting is Peter never talks about the birth of Jesus. But many, many, many years later, Peter would write two of his own letters. And in one of those letters, Peter adds onto what John is saying right here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 20, here's what Peter says. God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. 
God has had this plan all along, but now here, when he says last days, he doesn't mean the last days ever. He means that in the beginning of our time, God did this, and here in the most recent days, our, the last days so far, in these recent times, God has revealed Jesus to all of us. Let's go back to John together. John chapter one, verse nine. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and this is amazing, verse 10, he came into the very world he created. We just saw that he created it all. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He created it, but it didn't recognize him. Not just the world, but his own nation, his own nationality, his own, his own family tribes. Verse number 11 explains, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. And, and it's nothing new. To this day, people everywhere, uh, some accept and some reject the name and the message of God's love through Jesus Christ. But here's the good news, verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. That statement, children of God, refers to the fact that we're not just God's creation, but we are invited into a new birth. We're born again into God's family as God's children and who gets that right to be God's children? Those who simply accept his, his, who believe and accept his invitation, his, his salvation. That, that many then and many to this day reject and walk away from and don't care about. But those who believe and accept him have the right, the authority, the power, the legal standing to not just be God's creation, but to be God's children. Verse number 13, they are reborn. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. In other words, a couple said, we got passionate, whoops, we're having a baby. Or plan, we've been trying, we're having a baby. Not that kind of birth. But a birth that comes from God. A spiritual birth, a, born, a being born again, being born into God's family through faith when we believe and accept what God did for us. Now, I want to say this before we get to close to the end here. If you've never believed that today or accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can you, would, you, would you consider doing so today? There is nothing greater you can do this Christmas season than to receive the love of God. Receive the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose again so we could be saved. On the cross, he demonstrated what forgiveness looks like when he, when he, when he said, I'll bear all the wrongs you've ever done. You know what we do? People wrong us. We make them pay. We get them back. We want them to hurt because they hurt us. Even whether it means retaliation or whether it means cutting them off so that they'll always feel like they lost us. We want, to re we want some kind of reaction. But God on the cross showed us that God was willing to bear our wrongs and not inflict them back upon us. Pay for our sins because he wanted us back more than he wanted us to pay. That's love. That's amazing. That's forgiveness. That's remarkable. That's grace. And then he rose again to show us that death and all the destruction that sin has brought was destroyed and defeated by him. And if you've never accepted that grace that God offers you, he offers it today. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift of God and it's offered to you, but it's not forced upon you. You can accept it, but it's your choice. Because God in love created everything. God in love gave us our, our functions and our life and our choices. God in love redeemed us from the 
freedoms we've misused, and God in love offers us relationship if you'll believe it and accept it. If you've never accepted it today, I want to say this to you before I'm done. The greatest gift at Christmas season is the gift that God offers. If you want to have the best Christmas ever, I'd encourage you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. In a minute, just a few minutes here, when I'm done, we're going to bow our heads. I'm going to give you a moment of silence in your seat to pray and to have a moment with you and God. And if you want to, take a moment and say, God, I give myself, I, I receive your salvation. I, give, I accept, receive your gift of salvation. I receive your grace. I receive what Jesus did on the cross for my sins as my payment. And I receive eternal life as a gift from you to me. For by grace we are saved through faith. God's grace, our faith. For by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Or else we could brag. So I hope that today, if you can pull that card in the seat back in front of you, the third card in the seat back in front of you says the gospel, even as a simple prayer that you can pray, use the time that we have quietly in just a few minutes here to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But before we get there, I want to just wrap up one more verse and one more statement. The next verse is so awesome, verse 14. This is Christmas in a nutshell, right here. It says, so the word became human and made and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. So here's what I want us to do. We're gonna take a little time in just a moment to pray, and then we're gonna worship together. We're gonna close off this service a little unusual. We did our announcements up front. We're gonna close off with just three songs of worship, Christmas music, and music that just worships Jesus for who he is and what we celebrate at Christmas time. And as we have the songs and as we have the worship time, I want you just to let this be a day of just church. Today was about Here's what we need to do. As much as it was about, let's just drive around, see the beautiful Christmas lights, and praise God for his goodness. Let's worship him together. But here's what I want to ask you to do before we do that. Maybe in your own life story, Christmas is the greatest story ever told. Maybe in your own personal story, you wonder, is God that intentional with you? And I want to say this, he is. He is the director of this story. He's the director of your story. And trust that the director does a wonderful job in casting you intentionally and specifically. Trust him to produce in you a great story through you and in you. Because, and I'll give you the statement today, the director has a role for you to play in his story. He has his own story that we see cast with Mary and Joseph and, of course, the only one who could play our Savior, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. But he also has a story he's working out in you in his greater story. And you're not an accident. You're not an oops. You're not a mistake. God puts you and he has a plan for you and a purpose for you in this world and a purpose for you in his story. Don't hide from that. Don't duck away and ignore that. Run towards that and say, God, what do you have for me? And let him do what he wants to do in you and through you. We all have a role, and it matters. You matter. You matter to God. So as we celebrate God's goodness on Christmas season, as we worship together in music, let's celebrate his calling on your life and my life specifically, whatever that looks like, and let's just celebrate Jesus together.